Good morning. And uh, I want to wish a happy Father's Day to uh, all the fathers that are out there. Uh, you are appreciated uh, for what you do. And uh, I want to, uh, to thank you for uh, the effort you put into your family and uh, into uh, uh, leading them towards Christ. I think of all the ministries and of all of the, uh, the ways that you can serve the Lord as, as a father, leading your family towards Christ uh, should, should probably be number one. I saw something uh, it was just yesterday, I think it was from Eugene Peterson, and it said something along the lines of um, if, uh, if ministry requires... Uh, abandoning your family, then you've already abandoned the ministry. Or it was something along those lines. And basically the idea of it is uh, a central part to your service to God is your service to your family. And so I want to thank all of the men here who take that seriously. Um, while Father's Day is often a day uh, where you know, people will have you know, nice meals with their family, we're going to talk about the exact opposite of that this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about fasting a little bit. Um, if you remember our lesson last week, we... Um, it's kind of a darker lesson. Uh, we, we spent uh, the, the Sunday morning um, in the book of Joel looking at how in the book of Joel it starts off and there's a description of a locust plague and the imagery used to describe that plague. Uh, there's a lot of dark, painful, dreary imagery. There's imagery of darkness, of, of fire destroying, of, of a drought, of, of people being lost and killed and destroyed, of an army that's invading and destroying the land. And in all of this terrible imagery, there's this moment in the middle of the book where you are to blow a trumpet in Zion. Uh, there's actually two trumpets that are blown. One of them is to warn the people of the terror that's coming to them, but the other one is an admonition to, with humble uh, humility and sincerity, to turn back to God, uh, return to the Lord, uh, tear your heart, not your garment, proclaim a day of, of fasting and a solemn assembly, and weep before the Lord. And we talked about the fact that when you look at the world around us today, we can see some rough things going on, some things that are discouraging, some things that are causing uh, more tension and conflict in our lives and in our families. And I think when you see those types of things mounting, perhaps it is a wise idea to occasionally stop, to take a break, to return to the Lord, to focus our hearts and our minds and our intentions on him, to perhaps proclaim a day of prayer a day of fasting, a day where we can set our minds on the things of God and try to make sure that we are in tune with him, to consider our ways, to have some introspection and some self-reflection, and to make sure that we are, even as the world around us that we cannot control is often turbulent and distressful, the things that we can control, like our walk with God, is what we take hold of and what we take advantage of. And so we talked about that idea. And we also discussed that next week, June 26th, the church here at Maryville is going to have a day of prayer and fasting. Um, so uh, I want us to, in these lessons, kind of be preparing for that day. Uh, last week, we talked about some topics uh, that you should reflect upon throughout the week, things that you want to focus on and meditate on as we approach a day of prayer and fasting. What are the things that you, are you going to pray about? What are the types of things that, uh, that you are going to fast on and, and focus on as you fast? Um, but today we're going to talk a little bit more practically about what fasting is and uh, ways that, that we can do it. Um, so when you read through the Bible, there's actually not a lot of very specific instructions as to how and when and in what ways you are supposed to fast. But there is quite a bit in there about fasting. And so we're going to talk about that and talk about how we can learn from that and perhaps what we can practice. Uh, 
Fasting isn't just some ancient practice that no longer matters. In fact, subtitle of the lesson, Why Fasting Still Matters. Uh, I think it's important for us to realize that fasting actually is something. It's not uniquely Christian. It's not uniquely Jewish. It's not something that uh, only lasted in one part of the world for one short time, but it's actually something that spiritually minded people, and even, even otherwise, uh, people have practiced across time and culture, uh, and virtually all time and cultures, uh, for a very long time. It's something that people believe in, and it's something that has been shown over and over again to be beneficial to people. Um, fasting is something that I think in our culture is difficult to do because we live in a culture very much of uh, immediacy and of self-indulgence. And if you don't like to wait and you like to get whatever you want, fasting is not going to work very well. Uh, fasting is going to be really, really difficult. If you're in a culture, however, where waiting is just a part of life, things don't come immediately. Uh, you, you have to live your life with, with patience and, and finding joy in that time. And if you don't always get what you want, but perhaps resources are limited, um, then I think fasting becomes uh, perhaps a more natural way of life. Uh, fasting, I think, often is unnatural for us. Fasting isn't something, like I said, that the Bible gives a lot of instructions about. In fact, if you were to read from Genesis through Revelation, and you were to try to find all of the days that you were supposed to fast, you'll come with basically one. Uh, the Day of Atonement seems to be a day where fasting was practiced um, and uh, self-denial in the Old Testament, uh, Yom Kippur, uh, the day where people reflected upon uh, their sins and God's atoning grace for them and repentance and all of that. Uh, there is that day. But other than that, while you see fasting practiced, you don't see that people are saying, well, I'm fasting because of Deuteronomy 16. You know, like, you don't see fasting is a required part of life that you're supposed to do on every Tuesday and Thursday or something like that. Generally, the fasting that's done in the Bible is voluntary fasting. It's fasting where people see the need and they practice it. And so because of that, because there's no, like, set day, like, you know, the day after Easter, you're supposed to fast, or, or uh, you know, every third Thursday, you're supposed to fast. There's no set instructions like that. We can get to where we just never do it, because there's never, like, a day that God commands it that I'm not doing it. And so, if there's never a day that I'm disobeying God by not fasting, then I can spend my entire life not fasting. And I think that that would be a, an unhealthy thing to do, but it's easy to do. So, we're going to talk a little bit about fasting. Um, a lot of people have practiced it. In fact, a lot of people in the Bible have practiced some very long fasts. There are three 40-day fasts that we read about. Uh, one of them is Moses in Exodus 34 after receiving the covenant, and then the people break the covenant, and then they're going to renew the covenant, and Moses goes up on the mountain to receive uh, the instructions from God. He begins that with a 40-day fast. Um, that's remarkable, uh, by the way. Uh, but, uh, but Moses has a 40-day fast. And then in uh, 1 Kings 19, Elijah has a 40-day fast. Um, this is after the showdown with the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. Uh, then Jezebel orders a decree against Elijah's life. And Elijah has to flee from her. It says that he ate a meal. And then because he had a long journey ahead of him, he was strengthened by that meal and lived on it for the next 40 days. So basically, he has a meal and God uses that to sustain him for 40 days of traveling. Uh, so Elijah apparently has a 40-day fast. And then finally, this is the one that uh, we probably are more familiar with, 
Jesus has a 40-day fast. Uh, that pops up in, in the New Testament uh, and in the Gospels, uh, Matthew and Luke. Um, Mark mentions him going to the wilderness for 40 days, but it does not specifically mention a fast. But Matthew does. And uh, Matthew has Jesus going there. And one of the things that's fascinating about that is when you look at these three characters, uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, this is something they have in common. But one thing that's interesting is Jesus often has his life paralleled with Moses and Elijah. And when that happens, Jesus is demonstrated to be superior to Moses and Elijah. This happens in some subtle ways. You know, we, I know we've talked before about like the way Matthew portrays the birth of Jesus and the birth of, of Moses uh, very similarly. They're both born at a time under a cruel king. You have Pharaoh and you have Herod. Uh, not only that, but you have uh, this cruel king uh, issues a decree for the execution of the young children in the land. Herod does that, and, and, and uh, Pharaoh does that. In, in both of those, uh, the Jesus and Moses are able to escape from that decree, going to Egypt for salvation of all places. Um, and uh, in Moses and Jesus both do that. Then uh, eventually they return. They both become leaders of God's people. They both go up on a mountain and teach the people. You remember Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, there's a reason he's on a mountain there. It's, it goes right along with this theme of comparing Jesus to Moses. As you read through that lesson, that, uh, that Jesus gives uh, where he's connected to Moses there. You have, you have heard that it was said, and then he quotes Moses, and he says, but I say to you, it's like over and over again, you have this comparison between Jesus and Moses. You have a very similar thing happening with Jesus and Elijah. Elijah heals a widow's son. Uh, remember, he like gets on the child and he, uh, three different times, and he's eventually able to revive the child. And Jesus is able to heal a widow's son. Uh, he's able to do it merely by speaking a word. And the thing that's fascinating about that is Elijah has to appeal to God over and over again for this life to return to this child. But Jesus merely speaks as God for the life to return to the child. And so Jesus and, and Elijah are connected in some of those ways, yet Jesus is shown to be even superior to Elijah. Um, Elijah calls down fire from heaven on a number of instances to consume his enemies. Jesus, while he is with um, uh, James and John, they say, hey, you call down fire from heaven. And Jesus refuses to do that because he would rather die for his enemies than, to, than kill them. Uh, but you, you go through and you see that there are a bunch of comparisons between Moses and Jesus, and Elijah, and Jesus, and one thing that they all share is this 40-day fast. Um, this really comes to a head on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Moses, and Elijah, and Jesus, like, all appear together at the same time, and they're talking to each other, and uh, we come to find out that the cloud that arises above them tells them all to listen to the sun, listen to Jesus, uh, and, and so in that sense, you get Jesus is clearly the superior of them, but this is something that kind of connects them all. So, Here's one way of saying, if you're going to fast, you're in good company. Um, you are doing something that spiritual men have done and that some of the leaders of Israel in the times of, uh, of their freedom out of Exodus or out of Egypt, uh, in the times of their monarchy and in the times of Jesus that leaders in Israel have done. And I think it's probably wise for us to, to notice that and to imitate it as well. Uh, Jesus indicates on a number of occasions that his disciples will fast. Uh, one time he gets criticized. This is Mark chapter 2. He gets criticized because the disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting, but Jesus' disciples did not fast as much. So the question is, why do John's disciples fast and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus told them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? 
So as long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But then notice how he ends it. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. This seems to me to be saying something like, hey, while Jesus is here, it's kind of like the wedding banquet. It's kind of like the, the wedding feast is going on. Jesus is the bridegroom. If you're going to schedule your fast, don't do it for the day of your best friend's wedding. That's kind of an irresponsible time to schedule a fast. Uh, there is time for fasting, but there's also some wisdom with determining when you're going to and when you're not going to. And Jesus is saying, while the bridegroom is here with you, that's not the time to fast. But notice the day is coming when that bridegroom is taken away, and then they will fast in that day. Well, the bridegroom has been taken away. Uh, that kind of indicates that the time for fasting may be now. Uh, and so Jesus does indicate that his disciples will fast, uh, but just not uh, as much while he is there with them. Although Jesus himself fasts, uh, but his disciples uh, are not. But that's one indication that we are, as disciples of Jesus, expected to be people who fast. Uh, another indication, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus gives some instructions about righteousness, particularly righteousness with respect to uh, not doing it to be seen of men, but rather uh, something that you can even do privately between you and God, and that's really what matters the most. And he gives three examples of practicing this righteousness. One of them is prayer, one of them is giving to the poor, and one of them is fasting. And I do think that we kind of today, we look around and we say, well, yeah, we certainly need to be people who pray. We also need to be generous people who give. But we tend to not quite add this third one to the list, which is, which is fasting. But Jesus certainly seems to think that his followers are going to be people who fast. He says, whenever you fast. Oh, so right there, he's kind of assuming that it will be done. Um, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they may be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Uh, this is part of kind of an interesting uh, section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has earlier said something along the lines of, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven. The idea of living in such a way that people can see the goodness of God and the light of the world through you. But then also you have the idea of, hey, don't practice your righteousness to be seen of men. Uh, I think there's a contrast between if you're going to do good things, make sure that by doing them, people glorify God because of them and not you. Uh, you don't want to do good things so that people will see you and glorify you. Uh, and so with fasting, like, don't like, don't like dress in saggy old clothes. Next week when we show up for worship, don't come in here with like dirt on your face, all, acting, all shriveled and weak. We'll laugh at you if you do that. Um, but, but the idea Jesus is saying is like, don't fast so that people will think, wow, what a good spiritual person that is. He's really good at fasting. He's amazing. Like that's not the goal. But fasting does have spiritual value. And it's something that God can see even if no one else does. So dress nice, you know, <laughs> dress, dress in your normal clothes uh, and, and make it something between you and God. One thing that I fear that has happened with this passage is that even those who do fast, it's like because of this passage, we're so afraid of people knowing about it that we, we, we try to like hide it so much. Like 
But again, we don't really do that with prayer. It's like everyone knows we're supposed to pray. And again, you don't pray so that people will see you and think, wow, what a fancy prayer. Uh, but you do pray because praying is valuable. And it's okay to talk about prayer. Um, I think the same is true with giving. You don't want to give blowing a trumpet so that people will say, wow, he's so generous and amazing. You want to give so that people perhaps can see the generosity of God. You can see the, the goodness of God through it. And, and that's one thing that, that when it comes to things I'm proud of about the church— when the church is generous and helps the community around it, I love being able to tell people about that. That's something where I think you can see that Christ is still making a positive impact in the world through the church and through his people and through generosity. That's not necessarily a way of saying, so look at us, we're amazing. But it's a way of saying that Christ has genuinely changed this world and you can be a part of that. Um, all of that is to say, when it comes to public versus private, don't fast to be seen of men but it's not wrong if people know that you fast. And it's not wrong for like the congregation as a whole to fast together where everyone knows what's happening. Kind of like we have some prayers that are for everyone and everyone sees and hears you praying, right? I don't think that's a violation of this. In fact, when you get to Acts 13, before Paul is sent out on his first missionary journey, this very much is something that the church does, and they don't have to try to keep it a secret. Uh, it says, now uh, there were in Antioch in the church that was there, prophets and teachers, and while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, so that was just kind of a part of their, of their way of life. They served the Lord and they fasted. Uh, while that was happening, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for a work which I have called them. And so now there's a specific purpose to their fast. And it says, and when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So fasting is mentioned two times right here. One of them is before any special commission is given. Like they are just ministering and fasting. That's what they do. But then there's a second time when now they have a specific purpose. It seems like they're ministering or they, like they are praying and fasting uh, regarding sending out Paul and Barnabas to go on the missionary journey. So, so that tells me a couple of things. One, fasting is something that the church should probably do together and that members of the church should do with one another. And it should be just a normal way of life. That should be something that we practice and that we do. But then also, when there is a special commission of the church or if there's a special focus or emphasis or something the church is going to be engaged in, that's something you could fast about as well. You know, we have, we have a, a, a team here that's going to be going to Albania on a mission trip in the coming weeks. Maybe that's something to think about as you pray and fast. Pray for them and fast uh, focused on them as you uh, consider the work that they're going to be doing. Like, there could be specific purposes for the fast and praying also. So on the one hand, it should be a normal part of life. On the other hand, it's good to have something specific on your mind. And so, and so you see all of that coming together here. So the point thus far is fasting is something practiced in the Bible. It's something that people did. It's something that was done in the Old Testament. It's something that was done in the New Testament. It's something that was done by Jesus. There's not much of a good reason for us not to do it also. If we are the church, imitation of Jesus is kind of our thing. And so we should try to do that. And that might even include uh, fasting as well. So why do we do it? Well, again, there's a lot of good reasons. We've already discussed several of them. I'll say one thing, just a practical benefit to you. If you, if you say, I'm going to fast the next two days, you know what you'll find yourself having? More time on your hands and less money that's been wasted. Um, like, if you set aside a day a week for a fast, it doesn't, it, it doesn't always, uh, like, until you're fasting, you don't always notice how much time you spend, like, meal preparation, eating, 
cleaning up, as, or if you're going to a restaurant, like money that you spend or things like that. These are ways that perhaps fasting, you can substitute time that would have been spent or money that would have been spent on food and you can use those for perhaps uh, that spiritual purpose or spiritual focus. Maybe you, the, the you know, money that you would have spent on a meal, you can get a meal for somebody else. And you can practice generosity with that. Maybe the time that you would have spent, uh, you know, with the preparation and the eating and the cleaning, all of that, is something that you can instead spend uh, focused on uh, a spiritual purpose or focused on prayer or scripture reading. You know, fasting uh, while focusing on reading scripture and prayer might be something that just slows the world down enough that you can grow closer to God in that time. Uh, why fast? In imitation of Jesus. Again, Jesus is some, someone who fasted, and the more things that we can do that connect us to him, I think the better. The more, th like, you know, that's one of the suffering in the Bible. Uh, it pops up a lot, and the early church often suffered, and one of the ways that the biblical authors encourage the church through their suffering is reminding them that they are not alone in that but that they are actually sharing, they're fellowshipping with Christ in this moment. And I think if we develop a mindset of fasting, that's like when you're feeling those hunger pains, uh, you are sharing with Christ in that moment as someone who experienced those same pains in his very human body. Like that's a way that connects you and reminds you of Jesus. And so I think imitating Jesus and consciously and conscientiously thinking about him as you go through these things is a way that you can grow closer to him and understand him even better. Um, reminder to be generous. One thing that fasting does as you practice it, especially with regard to food, is it reminds you how fortunate you actually are to be able to eat as much as you do. Uh, we eat a lot as a culture. Uh, that's kind of, again, that's kind of something that, uh, that we're known for. Uh, we have a lot of food and we have a lot of excess food. And uh, we generally, tend, like most people, and I don't want to make over generalizations because I, I understand there is poverty and there are people who suffer, but for the most part, when we're hungry, we have the opportunity to eat. Um, that's kind of rare in the world. That's kind of rare in world history, especially, uh, that people always had food available whenever they were hungry, and they could eat it, uh, you know, as they desired, and they could eat pretty much what they wanted to eat. You know, they could go get M&Ms if they wanted m and Like, they, there's just, there's an excess of food in the world around us, even as other people uh, suffer through it. And while you're fasting, it reminds you hey, I'm experiencing something right now voluntarily that there are people around the world who experience every day and they don't want to. They're not doing it voluntarily. Like I am sharing in the pained experience of a lot of other humans. And that could remind us, hey, maybe instead of always, always getting everything I want as soon as I want it, maybe... I could spend some time being more generous and sharing. Maybe I could have a little less so that others could have more. I think fasting is a very real way to remind you of the situation that a lot of the world is in, how fortunate you are, but also that can compel us then to act upon that and to share and to be even more generous. Um, fasting could be like a spiritual alarm clock. 
Because, uh, you know, there are times when you're fasting. I don't, I don't know how many people in here have fasted. Uh, but if you're fasting, there are times as you're going throughout your day, you kind of can forget about it. But then there are times that it's like, dude, I'm hungry. <laughs> like, it, it kind of comes upon you in waves. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, you're not really expecting it. You think, all right, I need to come up with something to do right now because, because all I'm doing is sitting here thinking about food. Uh, and so either a nap or something spiritual, or sometimes if you've said your prayers and you've done your scripture reading, you know, go work on something because it's hard to sit there with nothing to do while you're really hungry and there's a kitchen just right there. Like, that's a tough spot to be in. Um, but one thing that fasting can do is when those waves come upon you, if you have set your mind to it, it can be like a spiritual alarm clock. It can be a reminder throughout your day. Okay, I felt this. I'm going to say a prayer right now. Whereas otherwise, if you were just eating and living your life normal, you wouldn't have had that reminder to pray. Uh, let fasting serve as a way of your body intentionally recall, like calling you to reflect upon God, to pray to God, to read scripture, to focus on what you want to focus on, to reach out to someone who's in need, to do an act of generosity. Let the fasting be a wake-up call to remember you're a Christian and to do something about that right then and right there. Uh, fasting can, can set your body in tune with your calling and, uh, and remind you to live it out. Also, fasting is a really helpful way to exercise discipline and self-control. Um, you know, there are, there are sins a lot of times that, uh, that we commit that we just don't have to. <laughs> they become a part of our lives. They become a habit. They become, in some ways, addictions. Uh, and they become things that, that we go back to over and over again. And they're not necessary. Here's the thing. Food is necessary. If you go long enough without food, you will die. Uh, that's just going to happen. That's, that's part of who we are. Um, if you can learn control discipline, self-control over something that actually is created for you and is good and is necessary for life. That will help you as you try to demonstrate self-control over the unnecessary things that sometimes tempt us. Uh, if you can control your food intake and your eating, and you can actually deprive yourself of that for a while, then you can also learn to deprive yourself of other callings. I think it can make you spiritually stronger. I think it can give you training in godliness and in, and in self-discipline, and uh, it can help you overcome some of the sins that, uh, that might be plaguing you if you take some time out and focus on uh, growing spiritually and practice self-denial. If self-denial is not something you ever practice, it's not going to be easy to do when, when the temptation comes. You're not just going to all of a sudden be good at it. Like anything else, it takes practice and in, in exercise. And uh, I think fasting is a good way to practice that exercise. All right, so when and how do we fast? As I said, the Bible doesn't really give us a ton of instructions on that. It doesn't tell us, you know, every third Tuesday, make sure you fast. So we're kind of left, we have some freedom here as to when we're going to do it. And I believe we also have some freedom as to how we're going to do it. Um, so here are a few things that I would suggest you fast from. Uh, fast from addictions. So next week, next week, this is what I want us to kind of think about. What are we going to fast from? Um, if you have something that you notice it's really difficult to go a day without, or an hour without, or like seven minutes without, um, then that might be a wise thing to practice fasting from. Uh, anything that can kind of take control of your life like that, anything that becomes an, an essential for you to make it throughout the day, 
but it's not actually a created, God-given essential, um, that might be something to practice fasting from. Uh, it might be something that can help make you stronger, even not necessarily food, you know. We'll t- I'll give a couple examples here in a second. But uh, sometimes our hobbies. Sometimes our hobbies, even if those are not, uh, like addiction has more of a negative connotation to it. Uh, hobby has more of a positive connotation to it. But even hobbies can become something that, d- that can steal our spiritual focus and that can consume our lives if we let them. So maybe a day without that thing you enjoy doing might be beneficial to you. Um, maybe a fast from routines. Uh, again, sometimes just the routine and the daily grind of life can be something, nothing negative about it or evil about it, but it's something that can, you begin to realize, you know what, I have gone from morning to evening and I have not had quiet time focused on God at all today. I have not spent quiet time praying about the, the issues going on in my life. I've just lived and now I'm going to bed, and I have had no intentional spiritual growth today. Um, sometimes shaking up that routine is a really valuable thing to do. And so fast from some of the things that are just a routine daily part of your life and shake it up so that you can find more time uh, for, for God in there. Again, fasting from food. That's the one we generally think about. That's the one the Bible usually talks about. You could do that. That's a really good one to do. Uh, I, I think there's benefit there. And there's, there's some interesting stuff that happens as you fast from food. Um, you'll notice changes in your body. You'll, you'll notice, especially the first few days of it, if you go multiple days, um, the, <laughs> which I'm not advocating right now. But uh, you'll notice the first few days of it, your tongue gets like really gross and like white and, and nasty. Uh, but then it eventually you get a little bit more used to that and, and it gets a little bit better. But there are things like that that like you'll notice physiological changes as you go through through it, um, you'll probably experience some headaches, uh, extreme fatigue early on. But again, the longer you go, even some of those things, your body adjusts and you get a little bit more used to them. And then you start noticing you're not feeling them like you once were. Uh, But food is, is is one that goes back a very long time. It's one that's practiced in the Bible. It's probably beneficial. Um, Maybe fast from work. I mean, we don't really do Sabbath very well. Uh, what if you spent a day and you said, you know what? I am not working today. The dishes will still be there tomorrow. Uh, the laundry will still be there tomorrow. Uh, the, uh, you know, my office will still be there tomorrow. A day where you fast and you intentionally don't work on that day. I think that could probably be a bit beneficial thing as well. Uh, fasting from screens. And you know, I'd get there eventually probably, but, uh, Yeah, whether it's your TV or your computer or your phone, you know, it's, the numbers are staggering for how often people, even when they're not doing something on their phone, just pick up their phone and look at it. It's like, you can't have a, it's like, you have to check your phone like every minute, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible how much that just becomes a natural reflex. If we didn't have our phones, like we'd just, we'd just do that (laughs) like a bunch because that's just what our hands do now. Uh, but fasting from screens might remind us that there's more to our relationships with one another than just what we can find uh, on a phone that can distract us. Boredom is one of the most valuable things you could have. Uh, and we live in a world where he, we try to eliminate all boredom. But boredom is when your mind wanders. Boredom is when you're most creative. Boredom is when you daydream. If you don't daydream, that's a problem. You know? Daydream. It's, it's amazing to get to daydream. You can, like, you can, like, you know, win arguments with people. You can, you can do all kinds of great stuff while you're daydreaming. So, so uh, fast from your screen. Fast from your phone. See if that's something you might want to do. Uh, but here are some things you can fast with. 
Fast with a purpose. Decide what you're going to focus on and focus on that. Fast with prayer. As you feel those waves of hunger pains coming or that desire to look at your phone or that desire, I need to go and do this work. Instead of doing that, spend a little time in prayer. Maybe fast with community. Maybe when you start feeling those things, uh, especially if we're doing it as a church family, call someone up from church. Text somebody, if, unless you're, you know, fasting from screens. <laughs> uh, go out to lunch with somebody, unless you're fasting from food. Uh, but see, try to find uh, ways that you can spend quality time with, uh, with another member of this community who may be going through the same thing. Go, go on a walk at the park or something like that. Um, fast with worship. Maybe turn it into singing and praise and prayer. Um, maybe fast with psalms. See, if you can read through the Psalms or read through sections of the Psalms as you go through a day of prayer and fasting and see how those relate. And then I would suggest at the end, uh, fast with regularity. Make sure that this isn't just something you do one time because the church talked about it a bunch on June 26th, but this can become a habitual part of your life because I genuinely think that'll be a benefit and a blessing to you. Um, so again, the Bible doesn't command us a specific when, what, or how to fast, but uh, that means there's freedom with fasting. I think you can fast in a lot of different ways and a lot of different times for a lot of different purposes, uh, but self-indulgence is addictive and it's pervasive. It's everywhere, and the best remedy is to practice self-denial, and that's largely what fasting is. Fasting is a tried and proven spiritual discipline and fasting can actually benefit you perhaps even more than food can. Uh, fasting can be a spiritual feast. And so here's the challenge as we bring our lesson to a close. Join in our day of prayer and fasting next week. Make that, make that decision that you will be a part of that. And decide this week how you will fast. Uh, what are you going to fast from? Do you want to do food? Do you want to do a phone? Do you want to do something? But try to think of some way that you can practice self-denial on June 26th and uh, continue to determine what your focus will be. What are you going to focus on as that day approaches so that we're not caught off guard. You wake up next week and think, oh no, I got to come up with something to think about. Uh, try to be ready for it. Try to prepare for it so that uh, you're ready and able to spiritually benefit from it. If there's anyone here this morning uh, who would like to become a Christian, if there's anyone here who would like the prayers of the help of this church in overcoming sin in your life, we want to make sure you have that opportunity uh, to, to act upon that right now. We'll have some elders waiting in the library in the back. We also have these front pews right here that are open and ready for you if you want to come and sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.